hey what's up welcome to Politicore. uh dylan evan and fucking yeah on the the show today we have uh davin of the marked for life radio show podcast um also of the band kingdom i think some several others in there uh she's absolutely uh a, a, a lifer and ever since the word eaten alive as well oh shit that's right oh my god i forgot about that well anyway this is a incredible episode um uh yeah uh evan you got any you got any opening thoughts uh, thoughts before we uh kick it over there no i i love the energy of this episode it was like you know fun casual academic um autobiographical yeah it was kind of everything for me yeah i think that's that's well said um yeah uh i think that she put it best when she was like hey my the research i'm currently doing is just like all of 90s hardcore into one thing yeah if if that perks up your ears in any way shape or form i think this will be um a really fun episode so uh yeah stay tuned as always get a hold of us if you have any questions want to come on the show or you just want to bug evan about something (laughs) i am like routinely embarrassed that i do a podcast called like politicor i'm just like dude who the fuck is listening like this is so embarrassing no i get cool (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well that well that makes three of us that think so, so. <laughs> it's, yeah, and our very funny. large until now our very large cache of it professional listeners yeah hey well <laughs> look i i tried to pitch the show to not fest or whatever but they went with another one go figure <laughs> <laughs> they're like we're gonna go with something a little a little more uh Less esoteric, I think, was the word they used in the email they sent me. So, anyway, here we are. Um, all right. Are you, would you guys like to officially start? Yeah, sure. Cool. All right. Well, welcome to Political, everyone. Uh, my name is Dylan. I'm Evan. Uh, today on our show, we have Davin from the Marked for Life uh, podcast radio show. Davin, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. And thank you for having me on the show. I'm a fan. Yeah. No, of course. You know what? Uh, we say this almost every episode, but um, I think that's your your perfect guest. We've tried our best to find as many people as we can who are like somehow related to like the punk and hardcore subculture who also wanted to spend some time in academia mm-hmm. as well. So, uh, yeah, this is this was an easy one. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, I've uh, I've been battling. Um, I've been battling the flu these past few days. I flew I flew to LA for a show thinking I was going to have like a bunch of fun with like all my friends and stuff and like right after our set I just started barfing in the parking lot. No. And I've just been like uh and then I proceeded to just like barf the whole rest of the weekend and um yeah, now I'm here. So I didn't have any f- yeah, that's uh that's what I've been up to lately. In case I cuz I Evan, I had a feeling you were going to ask about how that gig went. That's what happened. Just call it like if can you like change the experience in your mind if you like frame it as a cleanse? Um, I tried that because like I was like, uh, my abs are actually like a little bit more visible than they normally are, so I was just like, dude, fuck yeah. But then my, my face was completely like dried out and I looked, um, I looked like visibly dehydrated, I looked fucking terrible. So 
um, worse than I normally do for, for anyone who knows what I look like in person. But um, yeah, so that's kind of all I've really been up to is I've just been barfing a lot. And uh, <laughs> yesterday I was that's the a first new day year's I, resolution. Here. Yeah, dude. Yesterday was like the first day I like felt okay. And I was like, Oh, all right. Well, I mean, we have to go through with this podcast now. Cause I, I went to work. So, you know, there's, which I, I don't recommend doing, but um, working in general. Yeah. Just don't go. <laughs> just fucking just don't go. <laughs> quit, like quit your job. Just do, you know, do it, do a shitty band with your friends. Now it's a, um, a crime think. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Well, shit. I don't know. Um, anybody have any, any opening antidotes or go to any good shows lately that they want to want to briefly discuss? I can I start. Like uh, this is like very regionally specific, but uh, I'm just, I'll try and like frame it so that anybody can appreciate it. There's this new ish um, co-op in, in, in the town I'm living in, in, in Tucson. And it's like breathing so much life into my uh, enthusiasm for, punk and hardcore and the just the scene because it is you know the 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 collective itself is focused a lot on like community engagement and uh harm reduction and mutual aid and um and it's become this like hot spot for like the local punk high school kids who got their education on tiktok um during the red flag and, and came out like fully formed from 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 that uh from that uh experience and it's it's this really small place but it's always just like full to the brim of teenagers who have just been like thirsting for the the punk you know experience and you know it's yeah, whatever that means <laughs> and, but it's always like you know five dollar tickets but bring a can of food or a blanket or something and um i don't know just seeing them kind of like get their leg their sea legs and uh uh get that education around scene um uh involvement from the right kind of atmosphere where it is all about like mutual aid and and uh cooperative cooperative economics and community engagement um, it's just really exciting is, uh, in some ways it kind of counteracts the very aesthetic, um, uh, education they would get from TikTok and they kind of get the real, um, the real deal, what it means to be DIY and so on. So it's just cool to see in real time, kids kind of get that experience and, and, uh, yeah, definitely a thing that I wish that I had when I was that age rather than just going to like whatever corn show is up the street at this large venue um, and just being surrounded by drunk folks. Uh, that was, you know, I wouldn't trade my experience, but it was very cool. And uh, yeah, it's become like my new favorite spot. So uh, yeah, just awesome. generally reminding me what, 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 what it's all about. That is that that is nice and endearing. As much as I hate to have see kids have any fun at all ever, that is that is, that, that is good. Yeah, I'm glad. I mean, 
there's you can't substitute the the in-person experience like in those in those community spaces that yeah i i would imagine that at least two or three of them will go on to to become lifers and do some really cool things so i'm i'm glad to hear it evan yeah that's awesome yeah i recently saw the chisel and homefront oh shit yeah it was incredible and then maybe i had to actually i have like grad school brain like i have class tomorrow i'm like surrounded in books and papers so i was like shows shows when was the last time i left my house i had to pull up my calendar and i was like oh shit i've gone to two really cool shows recently so yeah i was able able to go to that which was which was super cool and i i don't know how you guys feel about homefront and I mean, they're not necessarily hardcore. They're just like beloved by everyone in hardcore. <laughs> and when they were playing, I was like, is this the greatest band in the world? At one point I was like, am I going to cry? Like, what is happening? Wow. And I, yeah, it was really, really strange. And then I was uh, around. That's grad school brain too. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, you know, like around a bunch of, you know, my friends are all like big ass like, face tattoo dudes. And they were just like having the same experience of, as me, just like, oh my god like we were so moved it was really weird um and then before that because i live in new york city so uh i'm not from here i moved here for grad school i was living in philly before but being in new york i get to go to like the most random shows like paul bearer of sheer terror's 50th birthday show wow. <laughs> which i was at a couple of weeks ago <laughs> yeah i'm a huge sheer terror fan yeah too, so. i mean i used to I, philly's not that far from new york so i used to come up sometimes especially i think i saw sheer terror in Tompkins square park i came up with some friends and a crust punk puked on my feet during their set that's yeah um, that's the right that's the full experience yeah i was like it's like the 80s that was um, dylan <laughs> that, was, that was dylan yeah 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 it was bef- it was before we, you didn't recognize me i just had like one big dreadlock <laughs> you're like that's your bit you're just like the puking guy yeah, that's that's it's pretty much the only. I'm, I mean, I look, I suck at guitar, I suck at podcasting, puking, pretty good at it. I think that you've so got you've got to compete. Gene Meyer kind of currently has that crown, so you got a, some competition there, Dylan. Oh, the the grindcore comedian. Yeah. Oh, hilarious. Um, cool. Well, shit. The, the that sounds like a really awesome. Honestly, Paul Bearer's fiftieth birthday show sounds like that. That might have been way more wild than than a homefront gig, but yeah, home homefront rocks. There's no no question about it. Yeah, homefront and the chisel, and like of course. So I always get really stressed. Like in in Philly, I didn't go to like oi shows. I didn't go to a lot of punk shows. Things are really insulated there. I was like very strictly in hardcore. And now that I'm in New York, it's just such a big city. I kind of go to everything, and it's it doesn't feel like I'm not walking walking in and like getting sized up aggressively by everyone sure um, like i would be you know, pretty much in any smaller place pretty much anywhere i think but here so it's kind of fun because i get to go to shows um where i do like the bands i don't always like the the scene really not into like chaotic push moshing or getting my skin ripped off by a circle pit with like spikes you know <laughs> right, spiky right. jackets i like lost a piece of a tattoo once to that but i really really hate beer throwing one because i'm straight edge but i'm also i i have celiac disease and I'm super allergic to gluten, and there's gluten in beer. So when people are throwing beer around, I'm like, oh my god, like, I can't get a fucking drop of this in my mouth, or my life is fucked for at least a week. Wow. <laughs> it, like, might yes. as well be acid. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, the chisel's playing, and, like, I, I'm, like, very much, like, an upfront 
like a, an upfront person so I can see and you know move around if I want to. But that's also like prime beer territory. Splash <laughs> zone. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like in the splash zone. I'm in the mosh zone. I'm just like, I'm like, this is cool. I've got to keep my mouth shut super tight, but I want to sing along. So it's like this, I have to be like super conscious. And then um, by the time Chisel played, you know, all the skinheads came out. And at one point there were like two skinheads, I think like choking each other and pouring beer on each other's heads splashing everywhere and it was like oh my god i am i am in the wrong place i've come a long way from like you know uh a hundred demon show (laughs) (laughs) it's like that cover of that human garbage demo of a of a skinhead choking somebody except it's just two skinheads which is really like i feel like skinhead culture uh in a nutshell is just skinheads choking each other yeah it was like i was kind of like you know i'm glad to see that some things may change but some things stay the same go on choking each other yeah it's 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 beautiful like we like i hope that i hope that your heritage yeah 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 the ecosystem should never be never be disturbed no matter no matter how many hardcore kids get some adidas and try to try to to rip it off you know god bless god god bless the 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 ogs god Um, bless the mutton chops yeah (laughs) well i know you mentioned uh when we were emailing each other you wanted to kind of talk about um kind of the i guess getting to college i think was the the exact sentence that you would type to me and I thought about that for a little bit just because it feels like within both the hardcore and the punk subculture respectively, there is mm-hmm. like a kind of like a fundamental tension where you do have bands that are uh, promoting and preaching about things that really require you to kind of to, to look under the hood, right? Whether it's, you know, the Osrotten CD or the conflict uh, seven inch you got when you were like a kid or, you know, I think of like also in the early 2000s, the uh, recommended readings that were put in the ver- <laughs> uh, the verse uh, mm-hmm. from Anger and Aid Rage LP, mm-hmm. um, it com- completely blew me away that a band would be like, "Hey, read Noam Chomsky," and I was like, "I have no idea what that means," but <laughs> um, it it did send me on a path that I think you both can kind of relate to. But it's also yeah. on the other side of the coin when like when you're actually when you finally make it. To, to school however you get there whether you take out a bunch of loans scholarship or you have rich parents all three are valid um there is kind of like a uh there, it's yeah I, I feel like i'm always kind of like so in a way walking on eggshells when i talk to people at shows or if i'm talking to somebody and they're like oh like you know like did like, if, I, if i disclose that I, that I went to college or even like made it all the way to grad school they're like well, what the fuck did you do that for like you could have just Again, like you could have read the insert of like a Os Rotten record or whatever, but instead you took on mountains of debt, hypothetically, to to do it. Um, can you talk a little bit about just kind of your experience getting there, and and both of you, if you wanted to chime in on just that that tension that is kind of there, where we are engaging with this music that is of, in a weird way, like the working class, and in a lot of cases, lower class, and people who are truly on the fringes of society but then also at the same time there's like uh a lot of folks in the in the in the room who are um incredibly well educated so yeah i wanted to kind of start it off with that because that's something that's been bouncing around in my head today yeah i can start so the story of how i got to college which is why i said that it's like 
it's like my favorite, like my origin story, like when I found out who I was, but I've been in hardcore all my life. I didn't go, I didn't start college until I was 30. Um, okay. And I've been, I've been touring for almost a decade <laughs> with, uh, with one of my old bands. And then, yeah, I ended up at college and it was like really like a very like shocking experience. Um, so I could talk a, a bit about that if you want, but um, I think, yeah, there's also a huge class element that I always feel kind of at odds with. Um, I think coming, like I, I grew up very poor and something, something I really like to talk about, especially being someone in academia, I'm a first generation college student. And I like to really like shout that out and, and try to get other people who are interested in going to school to like feel like that's a possibility for them. Because I think for a lot of people and a lot of us, you know, who are in punk or hardcore, for me, hardcore, are coming from, from working, forget working class, like poor families. Sure. Um, where like when being in academia, I hear a lot of people talk about like this kind of like, yeah, society expects you to go to school. So blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, society never expected me to go to school. My family never expected me to go to school. And that's like a very kind of middle or upper class pressure that people talk about. That's like very uh, unrelatable for, for, for myself and, and for a lot of lower income people who are finding their way to academia, which is like something we all kind of like talk about you know, quietly in the corner. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, sorry. Oh my God, I'm so nervous being on this podcast. I like never get to talk about this stuff. I can talk about hardcore like till the end of time. I'm like, no, now I'm talking about the shit that like I actually care about. Like, really <laughs> <laughs> I can talk out my ass forever. But um, yeah, so so it, it, it was weird to go to school. And I think especially being in grad school, you know, even like I was going to go on to a PhD uh, directly and I decided to take some time because I'm extremely burnt out. But my, my mom sat me down and was just like, what are you doing? Don't go get a PhD. Don't you have enough education? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. you seem so stressed out. I was like, I've got to be the only person whose mother's like, don't get a PhD. What do you need that for? <laughs> but it's just not something that's, that's valued, which I think is totally valid. It's like, you know, I mean, I, I have a job, things are good. Like, why keep going and stressing yourself out? And I think like, yeah, like, for a lot of lower income people, it's just, it's not a pressure, but it's not even considered a possibility it's not something that's on the radar <laughs> and so you don't ever think you're going to get there you wouldn't know how to get there you know if you wanted to and so it ends up being this like kind of chaotic maze of uh, of kind of invisible hurdles to to end up at school so i feel really lucky to actually be all the way uh, i'm in the fi my final semester of getting my ma right now and i'm always like damn this is actually pretty crazy considering where I come from. You know, it was a big deal when I got my high school diploma because not everyone in my family even had that, you know, which is like, they're all very, very smart, contributing to society, reading books, you know, they're educated in, in different ways, but like having these more formal kind of things is, it's a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, um, th I mean, there's, there's no other way to put it right like the uh, conventional schooling of any kind is is it's a way of of replicating class and it's something that people in upper echelons have been you know really really protective of and frankly you know still still are for 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 years and years now so yeah i think that you you nailed it when you said like well yeah i mean well society probably didn't really expect me to 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 get much farther than than high school if that um yeah so well, and I think like I'm very, I talk a lot about being in school. I post a lot about being in school because like, I think for, for most of the people that I know, it's like, 
Nobody knows what happens, why you do it, what, what you do there. Um, so I'm kind of like constantly trying to demystify it. Um, and so like I get messages sometimes people are like, I can't believe you're graduating. I feel like I've been there with you. It's so exciting. Because <laughs> <laughs> for me, it's like, it's such a, a, a privilege and a joy every day. Like I'm in school because I love to learn. Um, so it, it, it's been really exciting, but can I, can I tell you, do you guys want to hear the story of how I ended up going to school? Yeah, why not? Yeah. We got time. Yeah. You got time? Yeah. Okay. So I, I, I used to be in this band called Kingdom. We were a, a heavy vegan straightish band in like the 2006 to 2012. Um, and we toured all over, like we toured all over the US, we toured all over Europe, and we even re- went to Russia a couple times. Um, and yeah, while I was on tour, it was our, our final tour in in 2012 and we went across Europe and we were in Russia traveling by train and um, the some of the trains were like like 24 hours long from from one show to another it was like crazy I mean Russia's huge and uh, on all the tours that we had gone on like there were there was like one year we toured like nine months out of the year or something so it was just yeah I mean we were like like road dogs and you know how it is like when you're on tour, it's just like tons and tons of downtime, hours and hours of driving. And so I was, I was always reading and, um, you know, I'm like in my twenties doing hardcore shit, which is all I've ever done. And, uh, but constantly reading like philosophy and history and like, I don't know, political theory, I guess, like for, for lay people, if you could say that. Um, and then as, as we were um, on the train in Russia, I was, I had reading like some memoir or something, some travelogue, but I had been getting like this weird feeling inside of me where I was just like wanting to be in an intellectual community of people who maybe read the same things that I did that maybe, I don't know, talked about ideas because especially being on tour, you kind of have like the same conversations every night, you know, <laughs> and yeah. only talking about hardcore, which I love to talk about, but I was like, there's gotta be something more, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and it was like this like extremely dramatic moment of like being on this train in Russia it, it was winter it was actually like 2012 like right around this time um in the snowstorm and the the trains are cutting through this like like ice fields it's so dramatic so desolate like you'll never feel smaller than when you're there and I was like gazing out at the ice and I was just like I want to be in a place where people read books together like I wish that was real where are other people who read books and then I was like wait a second wait a second is that what fucking college is (laughs) and uh, I just like didn't know I I didn't I knew one person who had even gone and it was our guitar player who had um got a degree in metal guitar from from a music school so I like yeah yeah he, he, i mean he he was, he was a ripper but um i went i went down the train car i was like finding he's like like the russian trains have like these little tea stations so like he was there making himself some tea and i was like oh my god dude like i have this idea of this place where people get together and they read books and then they like talk about what they think about them like the ideas is that what college is and he literally said like yes you fucking moron you would love it <laughs> I was like, <laughs> And he was like, I want to break up the band. I want to go to school. And he was like, uh, yeah, okay. Oh, we were all, we were so tired. We were like, we just toured too long. He was like, yeah, fuck it. Let's go do something else. And I was like, really? Oh, oh my God, I'm going to go to school. Go back to the, the, down the train, see the rest of the guys in my band. I was like, I want to break up the band and go to college. And they were like, yeah, okay. 
Yeah. And then that ended up being our final tour. We played like a very unceremonious final show somewhere in some small town in Russia and then came back to Philly. And I was like, okay, next up, college. How do I get there? And so like I called the University of Pennsylvania, like the Ivy League school. And I was like, hi, I'd like to uh, enroll. How do I do that? <laughs> <laughs> That's like how little I knew. And uh, they kind of had to explain, yeah, what applying for college meant. And uh, I ended up starting at community college because um, because I was an older student. They were like, okay, when did you graduate high school? I was like, oh, I graduated in 2000. And uh, they were like, huh, yeah, you can't like, you. I couldn't, I, like, I had to prove I was as smart as a high school kid. So then I had to go to community college, get good grades, and then I could apply. So that's uh, that's what I did. Huh. But I didn't end up at Penn. I ended up at uh, Bridmore College. Yeah, I love that. That's an that's that's an amazing story. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm honestly, I can't. I uh, it, it also shows where where you all were as as a band that everyone was like, yeah, okay, let's call it. This is. <laughs> uh, oh, that Russian! It was brutal. Like we were just like so dead. We were barely eating. Like our drummer lost like twenty pounds in twelve days. Wow. We, it was, and like our lives were being threatened constantly and. It was just we were just so done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's very easy to picture this as like I don't know if you've seen the movie Snowpiercer. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> love Snowpiercer. But like the, it, between having your lives threatened, uh, starving, and being on this like <laughs> endless icy landscape, and, and, and thinking of some utopian else, some utopia elsewhere, it sounds like exactly yeah. what you experienced. <laughs> It's like like part green room, part snow beers there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh when I when I got to when I finally started community college, I like got into this program and it was this like this little gem of a program I was so, so lucky to get invited into. You know, like when you go to community college, you do this like rudimentary testing, you know, to see if you're remedial or if you can take college level right, classes. Right. Oh, and when I found that out, I was like, oh, fuck, I'm going to find out I'm remedial. Like, I'm definitely remedial. Oh, no. <laughs> and then I, I, I not only was, and I like tested really high and I got invited into this interdisciplinary program for like high testing people um, where we, yeah, it, it, it's the hardest work I've done until I came to grad school. It was really challenging. But uh, I fucking loved it. When I was there, I was like, oh, my God, this is better than what I even thought it could be. Are you kidding me? This is so cool. Um, yeah, when I was there, I didn't even know what a bachelor's degree was. My professors took me aside and they were like, you should go for a bachelor's. And I was like, sure, what's that? <laughs> like, That's a four-year college. I was like, four years of this? Hell yeah. <laughs> um, so, and then there, one of a professor uh, who ended up kind of becoming my mentor and knew I was a first year student and that I was like often kind of lost to like the norms and just everything. Like I could read and I could speak, but anything else about like, you know, uh, the, the culture of college, I, I, I didn't, academia, I had no idea. So he was like, do you know how to get to grad school? And I was like, no. And he was like, do you know how any of it works? I was like, absolutely. <laughs> so he told me he said you should go and I was like yeah I mean I get to stay in school yeah let's go let's rock um so here I am well, yeah yeah but uh, I'm I'm glad that I'm glad that you had someone <laughs> to, to to pull you aside and and keep you in the program just because it's yeah I feel like too I, I don't feel like I I know this to be true call me a conspiracy theorist all you want but I know this mm -hmm. is true community colleges have to compete for 
enrollment and seats with um, more conventional university, right? And so one of the things that they intentionally do is make their prerequisite courses more difficult, uh, i.e. typically make students who will never need to take like high level math, uh, whether it's mm-hmm. algebra two or higher, have to take it just mm-hmm. to get out of that prerequisite stage because they yeah. like, yeah, they, they like to advertise uh, and stress how, how rigorous their, their coursework is, even though they're a community college. And so, oh my God. Yeah. The, yeah. It was brutal. It was brutal. People would like, we, we were doing like, go like grad level seminars. I, I really didn't do that when I, when I went to Bryn Mawr. But, um, you know, these are just random first generation people from Philadelphia in a seminar having to like dress up and present, be like esteemed colleagues, professors, <laughs> and, and, and try to speak on an academic <laughs> register, which was like foreign to all of us. And there would be dudes, you know, like, dudes that I would see like on the, you know, like on the street in my neighborhood would, would, would be in this class with me. And then they would be trying to do it and just get so overwhelmed. They would just put their heads down and cry. And mm-hmm. the whole class would wait in silence for them to stop and keep going. And people were like dropping out like flies, but it was, it was crazy. It was like a very, it was like boot camp or something. Jesus. Yeah. I was, I was say, like this, yeah. this, this community college is not fucking around. Um, no, no. And we, when we got invited to the program, they were like, some of you won't make it. Your relationships will fall apart. You'll lose your friends. Do you think you can do this? And I was like, oh my God, academia is awesome. Yeah. Are, yeah are, <laughs> hey, we, will you put it all, all on the line to read Socrates yeah. and Jane Austen, you know, like. <laughs> What? <laughs> and then you get to then you get to grad school and everybody's like hanging out on beanbag chairs. Yeah, every like complaining that they had to write like a five page like a five page paper or something. Oh my god! Yeah, and they had us read. Yeah, we actually were reading like Socrates and stuff that first year. It was so hard for us. Yeah, like so. yeah, c- c- classic classic <laughs> community college move. <laughs> making grown men in like philadelphia eagles jerseys cry in class you know with little diamond earrings yeah. head down weeping weeping and all of us just being like we couldn't even be like you got this like we just were silently like oh shit <laughs> yeah yeah i well, wonder what um, the like incentive is to create that like that because it's like a, a a barrier to entry where um, they seem kind of advertised as here is your kind of gateway, but it really has to be like a gauntlet of fire. Um, and, and it seems like it's kind of its own contradiction in that way where it's supposed to be facilitating your success, but in fact is really... Uh, making it as as trying as possible and kind of it's sort of like a lot of undergraduate classes the introductory level classes in a lot of disciplines at least in my experience are in a sense kind of a weeding out mechanism um where they're like you signed up for this discipline because you love it we're going to make sure that you know that it's hard and that you can do it when you hate it. And then you can like get back to learning how to love it. Once you have all those rudiments down. Um, I'm not sure if that's, that was your experience. It sounds like you, you never got to the point of hating it, but um, I wonder what that kind of dynamic of um, 
weeding out uh, what that does at, at that level. I will. I can speak on this for a second, also because I think I, I I think Davin just has some technical difficulties right now and got signed out for a second. Okay. But for the sake of for the sake of just flowing, since you and I both feel strongly about about this, like the, the it's you know it, it is a it is a mechanism of 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 class warfare, right? Uh, and because they make certain courses um, like integral in the like prerequisite process, right? I use algebra two as an example because it's it's a good one. That's that's statistically one of like the biggest killers, one of the biggest reasons why people drop out of both high school, community college, and um, even just like the regular four year university. Sure. And one of the things that you'll you know, it's not that. Hey, it's like, oh, that's crazy. You know, just all these all these poor and undisciplined kids, you know, we just got to weed them out. But in reality, it's is typically because they can't afford a tutor. Tutoring's like a tutoring's like a three billion dollar industry, roughly. Um, And, you know, if you already are coming from a family that has some means or has some resources and has kind of like that class replication plan laid out for you, they're going to know, oh, well, like you know, our son or our son or daughter wants to be our son or daughter wants to do like pre-med or whatever. So we know that these are these, this is the specific coursework that they're going to need to come into. So we already know by the time they're in this grade or in this level that they're probably going to need a tutor for algebra two or calculus. And so that's like baked right into the cake. So if you already don't come from uh, a family that has that, like kind of like class planning or the resources to do that, um, it's, it's going to weed you out. Um, there is, I'm going to plug a book that I have no business plugging, but Andrew Hacker wrote a great book called The Math Myth. And it's essentially all about how uh, mathematics in the modern university and community college is basically a weapon of class warfare and makes uh, professions like all, all around uh, uh, like uh, engineering or anything in the, in the medical field even more unequal because of the way they're used at in high school and college to get people discouraged and to move them away from STEM curriculum. Uh, I don't believe in the cult of STEM curriculum. It's actually given our society some of the worst fucking ideas and the worst education policies that we have right now. But his book is, is very compelling. Just added it to my list. Sensational. I knew, see, I knew, I knew you kept a list. Oh yeah, yeah. I um, yeah. I I in fact did have a similar experience with math at the undergraduate level. Um, they they kind of made me take math for English and music majors, um, which was essentially algebra too. Um, but Can you hear even me? yes. Oh yeah. Ahead. Finally, sorry, my uncle called me, and it just like set off a chain of of events that. Made it really hard for me to get back to you. It's a tale as old as time. Uncles will do that. <laughs> so, so true, bestie. So true. Uh, yeah. In fact, we were just talking about um, kind of these gateways that are meant uh, riffing off of the community college uh, uh, archetype of of. Uh, these entry points or, or gateways being 
rather more like barriers to entry uh, where you have to sort of prove your metal. Um, and uh, I, I don't know if there's like an incentive at that level um, to make it extra rigorous, perhaps on the teacher's part, because you've kind of gotten the, the kind of cultural impression that you're not rigorous. So, Did, Evan, yes, because they have to because no no one who signs up for community college uh, uh, again or any schooling is going to voluntarily go like yeah give me all that math like they uh, they make so much of it part of the curriculum because so people have to take uh, classes in the mathematics department so then that department can also tout its numbers at the end of the year to show look how many students enrolled or how many people we taught because. Uh, they're still kind of beholden to this like metrics based evaluation at the end of every quarter, because again, most universities uh, operate like a corporation. So like, you know, Q1, Q2, Q3, Q4 are really important. So we got to see the numbers. Oh, how many people did we force to take algebra two? Oh, it's sensational. We did it. You know, um, well, here's, here's my question about that is I don't know that we need to like, I don't know if STEM needs to persuade the larger society that quantitative reasoning is valuable. Um, I feel like somebody who does qualitative research, I think that there is a certain inferiority complex in qual research where you have to put extra effort into proving your rigor. Um, but STEM, it seems like it might be self-defeating in that because especially if you're talking about those kind of metrics, if a quarter of your students give up because you had some sort of like reason to make it as as intense and spirit draining as possible to show like you know you're the person who can really get these kids through and if they don't got it then they'll never get it um then i'm sure those metrics of like yeah a third of my students uh dropped my class and left community college that can't be like metrics that are rewarded I I can't speak to if they're rewarded or not. All, all I can tell you is that that is something that's very important to a lot of these departments, right? It's not like it's not like when people uh, enroll for school, they're like, all right, you got to take sociology and anthropology 101, right? Those 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 departments have to fucking struggle. Come they come up with like crazy course names, you know, like anthropology and hip hop to try to like get as many fucking kids in the door is possible whereas the second you get into the university they're like here you go good fucking luck you're going to take trigonometry you know yeah that's uh, I, I, a lot of my undergraduates keep talking about their electives because i was kind of coaching them through um their their choice of gen eds and stuff and all of them jump on these uh classes with the super snappy titles and they're, mm -hmm. they're very into like neuroscience and psychedelics and stuff which you know at the undergraduate level i talked to them after the fact and a lot of them are like it's just a lot of the trolley problem like it's a lot of the philosophy classes kind of repackaged with these kind of very attractive titles for enrollment yeah and, again and, and and to your point oh it seems self-defeating right what does stem have to have to con convince anybody of its of, of its merits that's that's exactly kind of the issue in of itself, right, is it doesn't want to have to compete with anthropology or mm -hmm. sociology or political science or political science. It's it's just there. It's baking the cake. It's assumed that it's the most important 
part of your coursework, even though most of the time it is by far and away the least important and produces some of the most unoriginal thinkers <laughs> of our time. Time and again, you know, time and again, Elon Musk and Bill Gates are two of the most low hanging fruit examples I can I can point to off of that. But um, yeah, they, they want to have a, a, a literal chokehold on the enrollment process to to make sure that people have to take their courses. Okay, I'm starting to see. Yeah, because I mean, if, if, if your re- class has a re- reputation for being hard to pass um that kind of incentivizes students i think in the wrong way but incentivizes students to like take it quote seriously there there you go yeah yeah because they're not necessarily intrinsically motivated to love math so it's like you're either gonna you're gonna hate it but dedicate your life to it or you know maybe some kids actually love it yeah yeah the the math is the means to an end right like that's how i get to my fucking like that's that's how i get to my like six figure a year job yeah uh, essentially like the math 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 is uh in summary for all those math is class warfare if you teach math fuck you Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i had to take uh math when when i transferred to Bryn Mawr so i was only a community college for a year and then i i went to a four-year uh institution and there i had to do math which um when i i got kicked out of high school and i was homeschooled for like the last couple of years and so i never learned algebra (laughs) because it was kind of one of those like in what world do you need algebra other than in school Uh and then question (laughs) right and then like i got to school and i was like fuck now i need algebra (laughs) like oh no i should have learned it so (laughs) i actually i I was really lucky like are are either of you familiar with Bryn Mawr? not especially so no uh, we're west coasters oh um well it's uh i didn't (laughs) i didn't know any college except like harvard and yale and ones that they talk about in movies when i first started (laughs) but uh yeah so like my professors were like hey we think you should go to Bryn Mawr this is at at community college and i was like yeah cool what's that and they were like it's a little liberal arts women's college and i was like you want me to go there because i'm a woman (laughs) i'm not going i'm not going on principle um, but then uh, they set up a meeting for me with the dean, and I, I went out. I went out, and it's like one of the Seven Sisters. It's this incredible left-leaning feminist women's college. It's really, really small. There's like maybe 1,500 people there outside of Philly, and it was like the most fantastic place ever. Um, so I went there, and it was great. And when I got there, I was like, uh, I can't take a math course because I don't even know what this problem is saying. <laughs> like, I came here to do political theory. I don't what what's that little X? Like, I don't, I don't know what's going on. Um, so I ended up getting like a one-on-one, like a class of one with the professor, which taught me algebra. Um, but then I still had to do like a prereq, like an actual math class, not the like learn how to do basic math, <laughs> basic, basic algebra. So I took the physics of music. And it was one of those, like, it's physics, but it's music. I was like, music, I got music. (laughs) But I will say that, I mean, I was like, why are they making me take this? What what am I, what what am I trying to prove here? Like, I'm good at the things I'm good at. Just let me do those. Um, But it was really satisfying, I think, to not just pursue things I was good at Mm -hmm. and learn in new ways. And at the end, I was like, I don't think I'd ever been as proud of myself as when I got a B, <laughs> but you know, I was like in office hours. I had like a study group. I was just like, I had a box of tissues next to me in this little math house. I was just crying all the time at math. I didn't understand it. 
Um, but but because it was the school it was, because it was Bryn Mawr, like when we started, um, they had us read like a whole thing about uh, gender math bias. Yeah. We had to write an essay about how we feel as women about math and our abilities. And then after we had to write another one, <laughs> after we had like succeeded at math about gender and math, it was, it's an incredible place. Um, but yeah, I, so maybe it's, maybe it's not like the, I, I, I do think it was good for a creative and a, and, a, and a political science mind to like be forced to do something else. Yeah. Um, I, I was grateful for it. To be honest i think now that i don't have to do math i'm interested in doing math like i could see my <laughs> um that's so weird <laughs> I think this is where dylan and i diverge in so many ways this is, <laughs> mentality is telling um but yeah i think like i i think i feel sort of compelled to like take math classes now that the stakes are are very low where it's really mm -hmm. just like yeah i'd like to like try again at that now that you know yeah. my identity isn't caught up in succeeding or failing with it um yeah. it's kind of like you know ironically as an, an english teacher and english major like as, as a kid growing up i never this is i guess the punk mentality is like i never this this probably shouldn't get out but never in my academic career until like junior year of college read a book that was assigned to me um because i just wanted to read my book and uh you know i i got pretty good at like just picking up the patterns and themes from discussions and turning that into analysis uh which obviously became its own skill that i could apply to my english degree um but I finally had to kind of hack the system of my brain by when it became impossible to BS my way through that stuff by reading it, getting the syllabus ahead of time and reading it before it was officially assigned so that it could be like my leisure reading book or my personal reading book uh, while they were reading. So, um, so I can kind of like, trick my own brain uh from being so stubborn about being told what to do um so now if i i feel like now that nobody's telling me how to do math or that i have to do math i'm kind of feeling strangely compelled to to try it again good luck <laughs> <laughs> and so that was your undergraduate uh you're now in grad school yeah yeah, yeah, I'm in the, my final semester of my MA program. I, uh, I've been going part time because I work full time, which yeah. I don't recommend. <laughs> um, but you know, <laughs> I live in New York City. I was like, uh, one of my professors said something like, you know, you really should focus on school more, which I, I was like, I focus so much, but it's like, unless you're going to pay my rent, I'm going to have to work. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm at the New School for Social Research uh, yeah. in New York City. Uh, and in the politics program I, in at Bryn Mawr, I did political theory and I'm doing political theory here as well but with a mix of political ecology I guess is more my focus now sure as well as art it's like a super interdisciplinary school so they're kind of like connect all the things you want I'm like, nice. yeah I love I, I mean, anytime I find a, a, a professor or a researcher I'm super interested in um, I feel like more often than not I find that they're linked to the new school somehow yeah, there's a lot of really, really creative thinking coming out of the school. I feel lucky to be there. Do you want to talk at all about your research? 
You don't have to. <laughs> or we can talk about. I mean, I kind of want to talk about your research selfishly because I'm interested in the things that you're interested in. But we yeah, can I mean, we can you, save you it. Can ask questions. Yeah. I, if you're just like talk about it. So here's the thing. Like, why I was so nervous. Like I said before this before this call, I was like walking around my house, like, oh my god, I'm gonna puke. And I was like, why am I so nervous? Because I'm like, I, I'm not like a, I'm not shy. But uh, I never have. I've never spoken about my research ever. This would be the first time. Um, other than with my thesis advisor. Uh, but even then, it's like these, like, I, I walk into his office, I think I black out and I come out all sweaty and I'm like, I, and I take <laughs> notes. So then I like review those. I'm like, a, I'm like a, I mean, I'm like an East Coast Jewish person. So I'm like really high anxiety <laughs> in general. <laughs> so uh, yeah, um, so this would be my first time talking about it. But we, we, we can talk, especially if you have uh, questions that I could maybe speak more directly to. Maybe we can like find our way there so we can kind of like, uh, how would I describe it? Like Trojan horse, that discussion. <laughs> uh, yeah, thank you. Um, we'll, we'll, ease, we'll ease gently. <laughs> yeah, so maybe an easier approach would be, or maybe I'm not even going to hint that we're actually getting there because so often we start on one path and don't end up where I think we're going. But um, mm-hmm. would you talk would you draw this is a question as in like Mm -hmm. is this something you would be able to do for yourself not necessarily for us but do you see a link between um your interest in hardcore and your life with hardcore and that being its own kind of education and the kind of educational path you found yourself on in academia oh yeah that's a great question um and i can speak to that (laughs) Yeah, I think like, um, you know, it was really easy when I when I started school, like I was like, wait, so I didn't, you know, I didn't know what the disciplines were. Um, and I got there and I was like, I have to choose a major pol- political science. Yeah, let's fucking go. Um, because I think coming like, you know, I, I'm like, I came up in the 90s. And I was like, a, you know, the 90s were a super political time for hardcore. And so I was like consistently exposed to ideas, like kind of like you were saying with verse, like I'm a few generations before, but it was like Earth Crisis, One King Down, even Boyce That's Fire was talking about, like in the late nineties now, like talking about class. There was a lot about, you know, like animal liberation. And there were just so many bands and songs. And there was like a whole culture around, um, around class politics, but specifically around like environmental politics with the earth first kind of crossing into hardcore definitely like animal rights being a huge part i went vegan you know in in the late 90s and got involved in animal rights activism um and actually when when i left school i when i got kicked out i i talked to my dad and i was already running like a chapter of an animal rights group uh, a main chapter of the uh, animal defense league and I was like the, the youngest person running it. There were like all these other, but they were like older hardcore kids, kids in their twenties, like all over the country. And they were all hardcore kids. They were all like, you know, they were like more into earth crisis than I was. <laughs> I was more kind of like a hay free person, but uh, yeah, like just coming up in this really political music culture, I think exposed me to so many ideas um, that I then encountered in, in academia where it became like really easy to understand to the point where like professors were like, have you read this before? Yeah. You know, in my first and second years. And I was like, no. And they were like, are you sure? They thought I was like fucking with them. And I was like, I, I you know, like I would read things and be like, oh, I, I, I read lyrics. Yeah. 
worked like this. Oh, this is where it came from. Right. I got it. <laughs> so it was kind of like political theory to me just seemed like 90s hardcore as an academic discipline, mm. um, which is how I really easily found my way there. I was like very comfortable moving through it um, and, and really excited because like I'm like, you know, like animated by by hardcore and politics and then to find like the source of this thing in, in a always to me just seems so like beautiful and inspiring. I was like, oh my God. This is why I want to study forever. Um, but then what I study now, like especially studying political ecology, I kind of like when I met shows, um, I, I don't get the like, what are you doing in what are you doing in school thing? People are always like, oh, I'm so happy for you. You did it. People will say to me like, this is hardcore last year. Somebody was like, at least one of us should make it. I'm glad it was you. you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> I think because like I'm very much just like, oh my God, I'm in college. Can you fucking believe it? It's so cool. Um, but uh yeah, uh, I think, like I tell people, like I'm basically doing, uh, like, Earth Crisis is like my my thesis. If you know uh, the song New, are either of you Earth Crisis fans? Are you familiar? Sure. Yeah. New. Okay. New ethic. Yeah. Where, where everybody in the '90s learned the, the word anthropocentric. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you wanted to look it up in a dictionary, but like you know, reject the anthropocentric. Uh, falsehood that uh, so hard to maintains mankind's oppressive hierarchy over the animals that's an earth crisis lyric right <laughs> that's right. also kind of what i'm doing with my thesis um so so it was a really a very very direct line i think um which has been really cool i've also uh, made the mistake of sending professors like hey you i know this is kind of weird but like i am into this music and check this out the song is very similar to your research <laughs> and one what i i have a, a professor at my school is writing a book called ecocide <laughs> and i was like what that's an earth crisis and so i had to show him and he wrote hardcore <laughs> and i was like cool i'm gonna go kill myself by yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that's that, that's so sick i always forget how like not into like any good music most academics are i was very lucky my mentor uh dr sean parson is a 90s uh just crust punk um nice. that made it all the way up through the ranks and so he was like i don't know i just walked into his classroom and he completely understood he knew he just like he just knew what i think he just knew what he was looking at um and he recommended a lot of great books and mm -hmm. uh um all of that good stuff so it but um on, on the other side of the coin uh, another guy in our same department he wrote a book called border walls gone green which was about i have read that oh yeah by dr john holkren yeah i've got it right here yeah uh -huh. dude oh dude john was a john was on my on my thesis uh committee oh cool <laughs> yeah that's, that's my guy man i miss i miss miss seeing him all the time but he yeah he wrote this like incredible book and like we i was like i one time i asked him i was like hey john what kind of music do you like he was like love fish dude he's like, <laughs> <laughs> and, and then sorry not to like pile on here the uh an, another another person who was on my uh, committee as well wrote a book called policing descent i mean this is like some groundbreaking work on like mm -hmm. the tactics police use to break up protests citing you know the battle of seattle and a lot of those those mm -hmm. those 90s movements specifically yeah. um he's a huge grateful deadhead you know and i was just like what the fuck like all of you guys have like all of you guys are working on like the punkest shit ever and like if you played him a punk 
seven inch they'd be like i hate this this is the worst yeah. thing i've ever fucking heard <laughs> that's they're like all right brb time brb you know time to go time to go fucking do some tree spiking you know what i mean <laughs> like this is like i share these experiences completely um in terms of like coming in with a literacy that you didn't necessarily know you had until mm-hmm. you kind of were exposed to it being packaged elsewise and uh in fact um one of my favorite uh professors during my graduate more recent graduate work um wrote a rather famous and eh, i guess i would say controversial book called no future um and uh i don't know you know it's it's a you know sex pistols lyric but uh I don't even know if it was intended to be a reference to that. There has since been a lot of um, kind of a quibbling among that kind of queer theory community about, you know, what the Sex Pistols meant and what this theorist meant. Um, but I, but, but the rhetoric or the analysis uh, hasn't gone much farther than the Sex Pistols, and I'm like, you know, like they kind of are like the emblematic sellout here um can we talk about like punk outside of that particular uh that particular band because they aren't even worth this kind of analysis in my mind um um so that you know it's that's part of what kind of directed my research or the kind of my approach to to that kind of analysis is like a little bit of frustration because initially like ah my people we're speaking the same language and they're like no uh we're not speaking the same language we we don't know what you're talking about and and i'm like okay well i'm gonna have to write for an invisible audience here who who at least knows what i'm talking about and then regale or harangue uh dealing with the rest of it (laughs) i'm i'm always happy i'm happy to happy to sift through it for you you know we gotta we gotta stick together yeah even though I, for what it's worth, I actually think that there is a you can dissect quite a bit with with the Sex Pistols and their their career and the the politics within within. They're, in the fact, band. they're kind of the perfect uh, band to analyze. But if it doesn't like be it, if it isn't generalized or like translated to more modern work, I don't know if we're even talking about punk so much as like like post data uh art you know if we're talking about sure sure okay that's like vivian westwood um to what uh, yeah i don't know i guess the way i always I, the way the, the thing that comes to mind is like my quick 10 second like take here would be like if you think of them as like one of their not i mean first of all never mind the bollocks is just riff after riff it rocks it's an incredible record but at the same time their like whole mo is to just be irritating like not for really this is why dylan hold on hold on not for the sake of any real political project they're just kind of there to be annoying and kind of claim this like apolitical like haha look it's oi my seeds got a swastika shit on you know and like but uh as as time is has gone on, you know, if anybody tells you that they're apolitical or they're not right or left, that usually always means they're kind of a little more right leaning with a lot of the things that they, that they believe, whether it's, it's uh, outwardly expressed or not. And so like, I think it's really interesting that that was, there's such a good antagonizer band. And of course, 
John Lydon Rotten has, you know, come out in recent years as, as being a much more conservative guy. I think Steve, I'm not sure what, where Steve Jones and Paul Cook uh, have landed on, on the political spectrum. I don't keep up. I don't keep tabs on them as much as I do with, with the Johnny Rotten. Um, and then, uh, so I don't know. That's my quick. So I think, I think there's a lot there is, is what I'm trying to say is so. What were we talking about? <laughs> I think it's just talking about, I mean, I think that there's plenty to talk about there if, if Davin wants to take the ball. But um, I, I was just talking about how sometimes it can be, you don't really know that you have a political education from punk and hardcore until you're exposed to like more like a pure political environment or academic environment. Um, and then I think that you can kind of like cross pollinate or I'm doing it myself where I'm like, oh yes, let's talk about, you know, race trader. And they're like, uh, I know that I know the term and I'm like, what about, you know, kill the slave master, you know, that band and they're like, <laughs> you know, fallout boy. And uh, they're like, okay, we're, I've only got my other classes filtering in now. And uh, I get it. Are you just like holding your professors hostage, like saying bands? Like, this is, I, you, maybe you think you're joking, but you should know enough about me to know that, like, if you ignite my interest, I can be a real oversharer and not pick up on those social cues. Yeah. This is why my partner has to, like, tug my sleeve uh at social events because people start getting a look of kind of terror in their eyes because i'm like really enthusiastic and they <laughs> trying to like casually scoot away yeah no it's okay i've learned at this point where like if uh like if karina sees me like reading something or looking at something intently and she's like hey what is that i'll sometimes be like all right it's like i'm like it's 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 some like hardcore punk like lore or something related to it is like i'm about to go off like if you want if you want the out you should take it right now otherwise i'm gonna like <laughs> i'm gonna kind of give you this whole like i i what i'm thinking of is the day so kevy died she was like what are you reading and i was just like oh babe sit down like <laughs> I, I have i have so much to have so much to tell you um but yeah um with regards to like I love the phrase, like yeah, like I just kind of did like '90s hardcore as, as my thesis topic. Mm-hmm. Um, what, like, in terms of when you like talk to your thesis advisor, or even when you like you're in the classroom with other students, like ha- how how has that experience been in terms of like just kind of putting a lot of those? What I think in our insular community, like we think of an earth crisis record and the ideals within it is like kind of common sense, but you kind of, when you break into like a big, yeah. you break into a big, you know, uh, maybe like in a political theory seminar, you know, it's unlikely you'll have too many bad faith, like conservative or libertarian, like actors in the room, but you might even get something much worse, which is like a centrist or a lib. Um, like yeah. how, how has that been when you're, when you're kind of like hashing it out in the classroom with people? So I think now because I'm at the new school, I'm like at a pretty radical left 
institution. Sure. So it's been a really different experience. Um, but when I was an undergrad, also like because I was I was really insulated. Like I was like I worked as a face painter. <laughs> that was my job for eleven years. Actually, it was Heck sick. Yeah. Um, but like my because I was touring so much, it was like a job that I could leave and come back and leave and come back. So like I worked with one other person and you know not a not a corpsman and just painted faces all day and then other than that I was like in a really insulated world of like my friends who were all in hardcore and being on tour and it's also governed by certain norms um and then when so when I came into school number one just like the culture shock of like I was basically feral and not like suited to be in <laughs> in, in a world that didn't operate you know in with with hardcore standards or parameters you know like like street justice is not a thing in academia <laughs> oh, yeah. um, so like i mean just just to say like when i started like i would be in seminar and uh, this is even in my second year this is at Bryn Mawr, and this is like a you know there's like you know i'm there i'm i was i was there on a full ride which was incredible but there'd be like people there you know it places sixty thousand dollars a year there'd be, you know, people like, oh, my father's a banker in Bahrain, <laughs> like, holy shit. Um, but, uh, you know, during, during seminar, if someone would interrupt me, I was like, the disrespect, like, I cannot abide. And I would be like, oh, I'm sorry, did you have something to say? Mm -hmm. You know, really aggressive, like I'm at a show or something. And uh, yeah, it took a while to unlearn that. And, and I still have to um, check myself sometimes. But <laughs> um, I, I, but uh, I endorse that you you uh keep doing that because i i think that, that needs to be in the classroom more <laughs> i mean it was kind of just like so entitled but in a way that like wouldn't go you couldn't have that level of entitlement in hardcore at least where i where where, where i was like unchecked you sure, cannot just exactly. like act however you want without consequences right and like i didn't come from a world where you could do that nor do i really want to live in a world where you can do that um but also just being in philadelphia that's also how the city itself operates but mm -hmm. you know right. so it was just like <laughs> i i just came in like hot and wild you know and when i, I we had a is a really small college and i was able to take classes uh, through a consortium and uh could go to like haverford or swarthmore or upenn which i i did and yeah, there was a, a time, oh God, I shouldn't even tell the story, but uh, this like very rich UPenn kid, you know, like Trump went there. That's like the level of wealth that's at UPenn. Sure. And he was just consistently disrespectful to me and said something like, yeah, I can tell you're not a Penn student in front of everyone. And I was like, yeah. oh, no. So I went to class early one day and he was there and without, you know, it, it, it's like so second nature at least coming from hardcore for me like I went right up to him I was like do you have a problem with me yes and I was like why do you disrespect and he was backing up and I had him against the wall and I was like you should say you're sorry you know like you should treat me with respect and I could see he was like shaking like I don't think anyone had ever cornered him against a wall and told him to show respect in his life I love it <laughs> which is an experience everyone should have right and then after like I left and I was like I don't think I should be doing that but anyway that doesn't really answer the question but this was like it was like a very bumpy process of like moving from one world into another sure. <laughs> but um as far as like bringing the energy I think from hardcore and not that energy but a different energy which would be like the I think like the urgency and like the the urgency of 90s political hardcore and and later you know like all political hardcore I think is just very like 
earnest, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's coming from a place where like a lot of us are involved in like mutual aid and activism in different different ways. And like we can be on the ground and in the real world and like feel that this is not just like an object of study and a way to get grants and a way to move forward to a PhD. <laughs> right. And, and, and it's really challenging, I think, and, and to be in a place where people are really more like, would like to look at this under a microscope and, and not change the way that they live and not take any sort of further action. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, and coming across liberals was also like, I didn't ever really have access to liberals. And I remember we were talking about like John Brown, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. the abolitionist, uh, violent abolition, abolitionist. And I, I, he came up in a class and I was like, American hero. Yeah. <laughs> and, and somebody was like, he was a terrorist and a killer. And I was yeah. like, what? what are you even talking about? Yeah. <laughs> and then I, I came home and I was like talking to people and I was like, can you believe it? I don't even understand how anyone, and I was very like disturbed. And they were like, they're a liberal. Yeah. And I was like, shut up. Is that how liberals are? Yeah. And now I'm like so exposed to them that that's no longer a shock. But that was in the in the early days when I was like, you can't possibly think that. That, that was kind of my experience too. I think that just because, especially when you're in an atmosphere where it is, you know, when you're in an environment or a bubble that is left, you know, in theory left leaning but really liberal, um, mm-hmm. I think. I get comfortable and think that we're all on the same page and then start taking it all the way and then see that same look of like, eh, kind of teeth, teeth gritting. Um, uh, Like for instance, we were doing a class that was, you know, a socially justice oriented class, especially around like, um, like how to, it was a data class, but you had to choose like a justice oriented data thing and find out how to present it in a meaningful way and accessible way and i had kind of gotten this this bug in my ear about how like artificial intelligence is exacerbating all the racial injustices that it could have kind of ameliorated um under the guise of neutrality and uh and plausible deniability so all my research ended up being about how like police violence is uh, ramping up or is, is gearing up to, uh, to increase um, now that they have access to these technologies that are about predictive policing, which is essentially the movie Mi- Minority Report. Um, and so I would get all of my presentation together um, and I'd be going on after somebody who was like, talking about what's the best baseball team based on how it's like incorporated into its municipality and gives back to the community. And so I'd kind of like put this pall over the whole class because, (laughs) Hey, we're in this cool environment where we can talk about justice and realizing that justice kind of means different things to different people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You You stole the show, Evan. Uh, yeah, I think people tended to go get like a snack when I started talking. No, <laughs> I would. That's that sounds that sounds uh, that sounds like an awesome and necessary uh, presentation. Again, like you know, like everybody wants to weaponize data analysis against everyone. Oh, the data doesn't lie. The data doesn't lie. You know, that's where you like the whole like pundit brain, like politics, literally as some sort of spectacle 
or sport. So then when you fucking come with the heat and you're like, hey, we're living in minority report. This is bad. And then everyone's offended all of a sudden, you know, you got to fucking sometimes take their tactics and put them uh, and, and put them against them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I wanted to say a while back, Davin, you were talking about how like, hmm. like we were like learning how to like have the like in the classroom discourse. I have been thinking about like just my own my own life lately and how like I have never unlearned the like grad school like respect and discourse when people are saying like crazy shit or sometimes even like disrespectful shit just around I can I just I just like let everything go and then I'll be like wow that was weird why didn't I I was like I really need to get more aggressive because I've just completely grad school made me soft as hell man like I'll just like I, I will let anybody talk for any amount of time i was like i'll be like yeah yeah hold on hey hey everybody hold on he gets to say his thing first even no, though it's no, dumb hey. even though it's dumb as fuck he gets to say his thing first and then we're gonna respond and then like it just never works like like uh what, like out in the in the regular world outside of the classroom yeah yeah like just like yeah. just just bad like whether it's bad faith family act uh bad faith family members or or co-workers or like random truck drivers who i have to like whose trucks i have to like unload at the warehouse like i'm just like why do why do i just like let people talk to me i need to stop being so <laughs> stop letting people talk to me dude <laughs> yeah i have the i have the opposite problem <laughs> i yeah i will shit i mean <laughs> maybe maybe after the episode you can you can send me some pointers because i've just completely lost my way <laughs> Yeah, I think, I don't know. I think I was always this way, though. I think that's, like, part of why when I got into hardcore, I was like, oh, this world makes sense to me. Mm, yeah. You know? it's, that Philly, it's that Philly in you, you know? Yeah, well, yeah. So I, I moved to Philly when I was uh, 21. But when I, I had been, like, moving, I'm, I grew up in Maine. But I was, like, moving all over the country. And uh, I lived in, like, Eugene, Oregon. I lived in Santa Cruz for a minute. I lived in Richmond, Virginia. And then when I got to Philly, I was like, okay, another one year stop and I'll keep going. And then I was like, well, this place is sick. It's yeah. like, if, it's a lot like hardcore. <laughs> yeah. Really the same. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's a little hard to like go out anywhere else, but I've been here long enough. I am kind of, um, I'm civilizing a bit. Oh, hell yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad to hear it, I, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it's like selling out or... <laughs> But uh, I mean, I did. I did get an altercation with a with a driver recently. I was like, "Still got it." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ran yeah. him right out of his car. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, well, shit. What's up? You guys want to? You guys want to talk about talk about some underrated bands? I kind of want to sneak in some research talk if if everybody's yeah. cool with that. Okay. I was like, okay. Well, all right. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, I think that. You know, since we're talking about hardcore and I, I feel like our I hesitate to use the language because of who it who popularized it recently, but like I feel like political concepts tended to to trickle down to us as hardcore punk fans. Um, and so it, it gives us this kind of literacy that that as as we kind of have been exploring we don't necessarily know that we're getting until we're in an, uh, an environment where uh, it has other applications but um you talked a lot about um 
your exposure to early straight edge and vegan um, music and hardcore. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's just interesting to me. We're uh, Dylan kind of alluded to this. Like now it seems like a lot of the rest of the world seems to be catching up with that. Um, mm -hmm. Like I noticed this when I talk to people about punk and hardcore where I'm like, Oh yeah. I mean, I never, the only environment where I've never had to explain to somebody why I'm not drinking or why I'm not uh, puff puff passing or why, you know, <laughs> why I don't eat meat. The only environment where I've never had to like, explain that those choices is at mm -hmm. hardcore and punk events. Um, any work event I've ever been to any like just social gathering around the holidays. If I'm not drinking, it's like, oh, are you in recovery or are you driving or are you like, what is it? Are you mad at me? Because I'm, I'm like, listen, all I have to say in this other environment, firstly, it never even come up, but it's just say straight edge. And it's like the end of the conversation. Um, but I think that especially with veganism, like gradually that's becoming a thing where okay, most restaurants have like at least a salad with no meat on it. Um, where for a long time, punk and hardcore shows would be stupid to have catering that didn't, or like have a food truck out front that didn't have an option for people. It's just kind of a default choice. Um, so I'm thinking about it being kind of, society tends to be kind of catching up to the politics um, that have been more familiar to us for a while. Um, some of my research participants talked about how like 2020 became this like reckoning for a lot of people, you know, even in liberal spaces who are like, wait, cops are kind of, <laughs> and like racism is still a thing. And we're like, that's what we've been talking about my entire life. Every show I've yeah. been to, that's yeah. the topic of conversation. Um, right. And so these things that we've kind of been taking for granted and do create these awkward situations when we think that, oh, we're in a good, we're in like a space where other people share our politics and find out that that's, that that spectrum of like liberal to left is pretty wide. Uh, <laughs> um, now starting to see that people are recognizing the, um, the politics that we've maybe taken for granted based on our own spaces in hardcore and punk. Um, but specifically, uh, not to put words in your mouth, but because you're talking about political ecology, um, mm -hmm. is is that something that like exposure to Earth Crisis and a lot of these early animal rights uh, bans um, kind of facilitated that kind of direction of your research? Um, and uh, perhaps you can talk a little bit about how you're approaching your um the questions you're asking now that that's been kind of a um, uh, well-trod territory, at least for us, um, what are you doing with that, 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 those questions? Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. It definitely put me on this path, but it's like one of those things where I don't know if this, this happened to you, but it's something so familiar. And so something I take for granted because it's been part of my life and the way that I've, I've thought for so long, but I was like, you know, it's so obvious. Why would I study that? You know, mm -hmm. I study things like in my undergraduate thesis, I, I, I was researching, I was researching assemblage theory and, um, and just concepts of distributive agency and looking at um, the Arab Spring and particularly in Tunisia. And that was really interesting because I was like, oh, I've never done any of this. 
And then it kind of felt like as my research was going more toward political ecology, I was like, am I just like resting on my laurels? Am I falling back on like what's familiar to me? Mm -hmm. But at the same time now it's, it's an emergent field in political theory, um, like uh, uh, studies around the Anthropocene yeah. and, and political ecology about that, uh, surrounding that. And so I was like, okay, well now it's kind of informing like research that's like, it can kind of speak to like the urgency I feel like as like someone who's been like a lifelong activist and a 90s hardcore kid and like a current hardcore kid. And, you know, like it's the kind of research that's like desperately needed now to make real world effects. So that even though it's theory and it can be, especially like the stuff I'm working on, when uh, I talk to people, they're like, what in the fuck are you doing? <laughs> but to me, it seems to be like the most relevant and important things um, to, to, give us a, like a radical new understanding of how to move forward now that um, now that we're are, are, is everyone familiar with the Anthropocene? I suppose not everybody always is. Uh, yeah, well. Okay. Yes, sorry. Yeah, um, okay. yeah, I'm, I'm yeah we've got two, two uh, hardcore, long-time hardcore listeners who are also vegans, so yeah, for us, but we'll yeah. put it on our listeners to, to Google it unless you want to give it a quick Sure, the Anthropocene. I love it because I love doing research that's like where where the topic is like stranger than fiction, which yeah. is what I kind of feel like everything I'm studying is. So the Anthropocene is da 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 the new epoch we have entered. Not officially, but <laughs> yeah, geologists geologists in the early 2000s were like, hey, actually the Holocene, the epoch we've been in forever, I think it's over. And we're actually in the Anthropocene or the age, you know, the age of the human, where humans have become a geological agent on Earth, which yeah. is outside of our hands. Now it's just acting on its own and, you know, causing climate change. Um, so I lost my train of thought completely. Um, oh, yeah. So that causes, you know, like there's there's like tons of political crises and fallout that's coming, of course, from climate change, which we all know. Um, and then, so my, my research around that, I, I go really heavy into, I tend to go toward political philosophy and like really kind of like fringe shit. So for me, I was like, you know, we're looking at, at how humans are affecting the earth and, and, and what we're going to do moving forward. And I'm like, what is a human? Yeah. <laughs> you know, these are my questions. Like I, it all comes back to the good old Socrates, you know, my first semester. Sure. Um, Diogenes. Like, <laughs> That's a like, featherless you know, like, biped. Oh <laughs> um, yeah. So I was like, well, what is, what is the human now? Like what is the human, you know, in nineties coming at, from the 90s as a political hardcore kid i got really into like deep ecology i moved to eugene that was like the anarchist hotspot of the moment and everyone was like doing you know like uh forest defense and all that i'm like way too uh urban a person to go like poop in a tree to defend it but i was like in the i was in the town i was going to meetings i was reading and i was learning so it's like something very natural i guess but at the time are you guys familiar with Darren jensen i'm not author He's a deep ecologist, um, uh, not not an academic. He wrote books that around the time of crime think, like he wrote, oh God, I can't think of the fucking books. But anyway, it was like crazy. It was like one of those things where any activist, vegan, hardcore kid like had his book 
in their bags and everyone was talking about end game or something. And it was about like oh, a language older than words about like how trees, like the earth is talking to us, but we're not listening. The earth is screaming and dying, but we don't speak its language. You know, it was like very poetic and beautiful and everyone was loving it. Um, and so kind of like returning to that, um, there was something in one of his books that was a, sorry, I'm, I'm a, like a very chaotic thinker. So I'm going to jump all around. This is how I think, how I write. Why I have talking. Common, common spirits here. <laughs> so in one of his books, he wrote about, and, and God knows how fucking true this is, but he wrote about how not a single cell uh, of a human is untouched by pollution how like even women's breast milk contains carcinogens from, you know, like uh, air pollution and acid rain. And you go deep into, you know, the, the Amazon forest and on a, on, a, on a biological fundamental level, all of these leaves have been changed by these human processes. And this is before we were talking about the Anthropocene, this is before we we're talking about anything, but this struck me as like, what the fuck we've changed on a cellular fundamental level? We're all made of toxic poison caused by, you know what, it, it had me thinking of all these questions. And so, now, all these years later, I'm kind of coming back to them because my question then was, well, what are we if, we're, if we've been changed? Are we still human? Mm. What is the world? Is it still the world? Is it something else? And I wrote a zine about it in like 2003. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, and it was all about, have we reached the end of the world? What is natural? And it was like kind of like it's crazy. I wrote it on a typewriter with a friend um, and we put it out. And so I'm kind of doing the same thing where I'm kind of like, now we're really talking about it in a different way, which is, people in, in transhuman, not so much in transhuman philosophy, but in post-human philosophy and post-human political ecology, especially are saying the same thing. What is the human? Right. We sure shit aren't a human, but not in the way like, there are some, some kind of uh, new materialist uh, philosophers who are saying like, on a, on a biological level, we are not just human. Mm -hmm. And this is done to just kind of say, we think of ourselves as like these bounded individuals that we, that we are, walking with intent through the world that what we want is what comes to be and it's kind of this idea of human mastery and that we are on the world not in the world you mm -hmm. know what i mean yeah. mm -hmm. and so these new materialist thinkers particularly jane bennett is someone who i've read for years and years now i actually met her recently and it was so exciting i brought my book to sign and i was like i'm such a huge fan yeah. and i was like i'm sorry i'm so nervous to talk to you and she was like i'm so nervous all the time <laughs> i'm so nervous she was telling me all her anxiety and i was like oh my god i love you even more now because i'm a highly anxious person yeah. but anyway so she she talks about like and and Dustin, i sent you this i did actually like a collage kind of illustrating this um but like she talks about how you can you can challenge the idea of this bounded individual of, of the human just being self-possessed in the way kind of like Derek Jensen saying, you know, like every cell has been altered. She's like, we're not just human. We're breathing in all of this, you know, all this air that's fundamentally changing us. So then we're not just this, we're also these processes. Right. You know, we're also this pollution. We're, we have microbiomes in our stomach. We're taking pharmaceuticals. Like our boundaries are being traversed constantly. We're not as self-possessed as we think we are. Right. <coughs> Excuse me. And now in microplastics. Yeah, and now fucking microplastics, exactly. Mm. So, sorry, I need a sip of water. Oh, uh, that's that that uh, permeability, that dividuation. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so people are saying that, but then there's there's post-human thinkers who are kind of like, okay, yeah, like like Jane Bennett will say, like, okay, we're we're more than human. That's like kind of the term, like we're more than human, and that can mean a lot of things. Maybe on a biological level like the deep ecologist of yesteryear were saying we're more than human in that 
like like the subject of the Anthropocene, where we've become this this actor, this this climactic actor on Earth. We're also now like being reconstituted by <coughs> sorry. This is really compelling podcast, right? Yeah, I love it. I'm trying to uh, to go off. Creating a suspense. So, post human, yeah, post human philosophers, uh, post human political theorists and deep ecologists and so on are, are kind of saying maybe we're not just more than human in the way that we're being like kind of remade by these processes that we're like enacting on the earth and then are remaking the earth and remaking us. That's one thing to think about. But another thing to think about is how we're not just on the world in the ways that we're in the world and we're constituted with the world. And we kind of need that as a, as a political basis moving forward now that we're living in the age of climate change. So for example, <coughs> I don't know if I'm going to be able to get this out. I think there's a conspiracy. <laughs> <coughs> I'm being silent. Yes. It being being silent, silenced by something perhaps that's beyond human inside you. Yes. Yeah, my nog champa. <laughs> right, right. Or <laughs> <laughs> a Neuralink, um, maybe. <coughs> uh, don't get me started on that, man. But yeah so so transhumanists are, are looking at ways that we are like of the world we're enmeshed with the world it gets into some kind of like hippie dippy talk a lot of times like this enmeshment this this bot all of our bodies combined but it's also like a really i guess like generative place to be thinking about a new politics moving forward where we're not just looking like earth crisis was talking about like the hierarchy of mankind over animals but which is kind of the the premise of a politics that led to a climate crisis that led to this new age. So now we need a new way of thinking to be able to have as someone who's been reading a lot of Donna Haraway. Yeah, like you'd impenetrable say that. fucking nonsense. <laughs> actually, a genius. But she talks about like this desire for a resurgent world, where when you're faced with you know uh, the Anthropocene and climate change, you can have hope, which is kind of like kind of like this cosmic faith in a future, which is really not going to get us where anywhere, or despair. Which is also not going to get us anywhere but we have to have this kind of like being thinking right now with what's happening and, and with a belief in a resurgent world and part of how we get there is by de-emphasizing humans in politics by also by by reconceptualizing who we are so we get back to like what is the human right which is like we're not just ourselves we're now biologically we're you know all this pollution whatever but we're also constantly interacting and being made and remade by environmental processes by other animals and we have to think about who the subject is in a very different way and from which includes non-human actors or even not just animals but even like the earth there's a lot of people talking about like geopolitics in that sense mm -hmm. um and now i've kind of talked myself down into a spiral <laughs> No, so mean, that's what I'm working on. It's really weird. weird. I'm trying to, I've been just working on the theoretical part, which is why I'm, I'm talking in the sky right now. But um, I'm, I'm working on a case study for my thesis, which is due in, like, in May. So it's getting crazy. But um, there's a band called Beton Armé. They're uh, an oi band from Montreal who are friends of mine. And when they came down to New York a couple, like a year and a half ago, I was chatting with their merch guy their merch guy had lived in Yukon 
and uh, in a really, really small town. And he just kind of like offhandedly told me the story about how due to climate change, the permafrost was melting. And with the permafrost melting, graveyards, it's like, it's a nightmare for graveyards where bodies are actually like de-interring. They're just like rising from the ground. Mm. And there's like actual body parts just like coming out of the graveyard. And I was like, oh my God, that's a nightmare. That's so scary. So this dog like brought him a human bone and I was like, what the fuck? And that kind of stuck with me. And then I realized that this could kind of be a, a, a case study of looking at how like our old practices and policies and environmental politics of say like the Holocene era are now kind of inadequate to deal with our current reality. Mm -hmm. And we have to kind of rethink like how we think about even ground. We have to think, we have to think differently about how like water rising and hurricanes, we have to think about like the, the agency of these things acting on us. You, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So now I'm like reading tons of shit about corpses coming out of the ground and I'm like a very, ner like a, I'm, I'm spooked really easily and I live across the street from a graveyard. So it's just been like awful. I don't know why I, I tasked <laughs> myself with this. <laughs> Maybe that's like, exposure therapy. Yeah, but, but it's also like one of those things like when I tell people because because finding a new politics to address climate change and because you know, this is this, these are the issues that are very pressing now and will only get more so like we need people to care and we need things to change. And so I think having like this, like, you know, like a hand rising from the ground is like the, the horror movie trope and it's like actually happening. Yeah. So some bodies are rising from the ground. I've got everyone's attention. So I love it. And also yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like only appropriate, I suppose that like they came up with this kind of way uh, this like term of recognition for the Anthropocene just in time for them to like recognize the like imminence of the sixth extinction uh, and the end of the Anthropocene. Um, now that we're just like winding down, they've got a term for what we're in now. Um, mm -hmm. But that also means that it's especially timely, not only to like re-theorize what, um, Hugh, what like this this age-old question of who is the subject or what mm -hmm. who is a citizen or a person and who has personhood and and mm -hmm. uh, who does not um that has kind of always been engaged with in an animal rights discourse but what does that mean mm -hmm. in this post-human transhuman uh very you know increasing likelihood of like a post-human age or a post-Anthropocene where humans and their environments uh, as we understand them cease to be, um, which is, I think that you, uh, at least your thesis that I saw engaged also with like Zakia Iman Jackson and, and mm -hmm. uh, like continuing with Donna Haraway and like this, what, what does the cyborg mean when humans can, can like, uh, like how do we engage with humanity in a way that that can adapt to an age where we we can't theorize of ourselves as individuals and have to recognize that in order to to persist we have to integrate new technologies um like Neuralink um or, <laughs> <laughs> um yeah and and you know that brings up like some 
good and evil accelerationist discourses from uh, Fisher, Mark Fisher and Nick Land, who are, I hope, obviously good and evil, respectively. Um, but this is, it seems like, not only is hardcore like uh, being ahead of the ball or what is it, ahead of the game um, in terms of this kind of like discourse, but horror movies, as you insinuated, science fiction is kind of ahead of it as <clears throat> to go back to minority report these things are we, we've kind of have at least fictional precedents for these kind of like very real mm -hmm. situations that we're finding ourselves in or, or are likely to find ourselves in soon so it seemed like mm -hmm. extremely timely for you to be doing this research and i think just based on like my own engagement with my research where it seems seems obvious to us um, because of the bubbles we're in, um, it, it doesn't necessarily seem obvious to the rest of the academic community. Um, so for instance, yeah. like my research, when I talk to, you know, general academics in my environment about it, they seem kind of dubious, but when I talk to punks about it, they're like, yeah, you have to write about that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's kind of like, it's kind of like if I were writing a, like a, my thesis on like what orange juice tastes like instead of just like giving somebody a glass that's like the attitude that um that uh, punks have with me when i'm talking about my research like uh, yeah, that's a, like a you're putting a lot of effort into saying something we already understand right. <laughs> like bro uh, yeah. bro you went to school for this yeah you spent a ton of money and time inconveniencing yourself to just like convince yourself of something you already know at a gut level right <laughs> right exactly there's yeah, that go ahead sorry oh i was just gonna say yeah my advisor in our last meeting was like you know you're really on the fringe of political theory right now and i was like am i <laughs> <laughs> is it also because it's like all i read but i'm reading like so far out of political theory because it's so new yeah the writings that are coming out of this are across all the disciplines. So I have to pull from everywhere. Yes. Which is, I mean, that's what I think real synthesis leads to these kind of new corners of discipline um, where it, that's why I'm sort of skeptical about like special specialization because you like, you become an expert in this one thing rather than like being, you know, I used to kind of, be worried about the fact that I had too many interests and it didn't meant that I couldn't like really dedicate myself to one discipline. Mm -hmm. Like, no, like all of these are legitimate interests that I'm very invested in. And if I can synthesize them, yeah. that becomes <clears throat> a specialty. Um, so it sounds like that's kind of where you're finding yourself as well. Absolutely. I've gotten really into like art. I think it's just like being in New York and being at the new school, which also has like a huge art department. And there are a lot of like, um, classes which are taught with like political scientists and artists and I take all of them because it's like a unique opportunity at my school so I'm like trying not trying to miss it so it's really changed the way I think and now I do like art as part of my as part of my method like I can think through ideas by like visualizing them or making something I've made videos like non-verbal representations of like theories that I'm reading and it actually ends up being really helpful and now like one another, I'm doing what I'm calling another case study, which has been kind of controversial in my thesis where I'm reading uh, a sculpture by this uh, Afrofuturist artist, uh, Wengechi Mutu. Um, 
I'm reading it as presenting a particular kind of post-human theory that I want to put in conversation with everything else. And my professor was like, okay. <laughs> and he was like, I like it. Very new school. <laughs> How are you going to do it? <laughs> so I'm having to like pull from, you know, theorists that are starting to do that. There's also like a really big call, particularly, oh God, I'm going to cough again, in um, studies around the Anthropocene coming from voices of women and voices of people, people of color, just saying, you know, like white Western science and white Western academia has kind of got us here. We need to look at other forms of scholarship, mm -hmm. other kinds of voices, other methods of creation and consider those scholarly. And I, and I completely agree. I don't, my professor was kind of like, and what do you think of that? I was like, I think they're fucking right. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, so let's do it. Like um, there's also a big move at, at, at the new school to, to embrace new kinds of scholarship, including things that are, are you know, like uh, visual scholarship, um, yeah. audio, all, there's all sorts of things. And so I'm really like, you know, I've been reading things that are saying, you know, if we want to keep academia relevant, especially, you know, if we want to keep political theory relevant, <laughs> we need to be embracing this kind of this kind of thing in general, but then also particularly with the question around the Anthropocene, looking to other knowledge systems. Yeah. and seeing what we can get there is really important so <clears throat> i am really excited i haven't i'm like i'm saving it like a little it's like my little present to myself is doing this analysis of this love sculpture it. it's gonna there, be really there's really a cool, I think. you're probably already familiar with it but anna and lin chang does a similar mm -hmm. thing with her analysis of sculpture her yeah. her expertise is in african-american literature and asian-american literature um, but it's also so many things also becomes political, critical, political theory. Um, and, and a lot of her Asian American discourse, uh, critical discourse is around the kind of ornamentation of the Asian woman. Um, mm -hmm. and so she does a lot of analysis of sculpture, um, as this cool. sort of cyborg technology, um, so I, it's not, I'm, I suspect you're already familiar, but if not, it might be. Uh, at, at least a good thing to like show that that uh, what you're doing is like right on the right track for what what interesting things are being done in that, that theory space right now. Yeah, no, I'm not familiar. That's awesome. Now I'm ready. To, now that I'm like, <laughs> now that I've like quenched my thirst. There. Thank you for entertaining me, Davin. By the way, like I. I saw some of your research interests and I'm like, oh, I, I, I want to, this is like me getting overly excited that somebody's interested in who I am. <laughs> so thanks for, thanks for stepping uh, into that zone um, for us. Yeah. Thanks for uh, letting me warm up for an hour to be like, oh God, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That was that, it's so scary for me, but, Trojan horse. but I love it. Yeah. yeah, I love it. And I find it endlessly fascinating and important. Um, yeah, every, every aspect of it, even the art. Yeah. But yeah, so thanks, thanks for asking. Excellent. Yeah, thank you so much. Now now I'm down to do some un, uh, un, underrated gems. Yeah, uh, hell yeah. Uh, hopefully your thesis defense, it doesn't take an hour uh, to get warmed up, but... <laughs> we'll just we'll do it in the park and we'll just it. like pre-game with some like lacroix in the parking lot ahead exactly of i was gonna say like yeah like if, if it's if if the the concept is already kind of 90s hardcore as as the as the thesis then just treat it treat it all like a show it's awesome 
you're a, you're you're like a you're like Greg Benick doing his like uh, pro corporate spoken word gig or whatever. Where he like he like juggle, he was like juggling in a boardroom, showing you how to be like. Anyway, sorry, 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 sorry. Somebody who's listening to that's gonna be. Uh, dude, I remember. I'm sorry. Do you guys remember the first time you realized the guy from Trial juggles for people in boardrooms? Did you guys? Where were you? Do you that blew my mind. This is where I was. I've never heard about that. Before. Oh shit! All right, never mind. Never mind. Never I was mind. at a feminist anarchist convention, and he was there juggling. Fuck. Yeah, yeah that the, that <laughs> one that one fucked me up, man. I, uh, I was I th- like, this dude from trial. I think he was juggling knives, and I was like, is this happening? <laughs> See, now that's praxis. No, it's not. No, dude, Evan, I'm gonna send you a couple videos. And you're gonna be like, you're gonna be like. This is the guy from trial. This is the guy from trial, dude. This is his day job. This is what. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, sorry, not to be disparaging. Um, sorry. Juggler, all the jugglers in our audience. Yeah. All the jugglers well, and juggalos in our audience. Yeah. yeah just, <laughs> I guess just to all the like all the Northwest trial fans that listen to Politicor religiously, which I know there are there are many of you waiting eagerly to DM us. I feel like um, if we tap the juggalo market. Oh, you know that's our, I, that's our ticket. Well, I mean, you're I mean, you're the one that is supposed to be booking the guests, Evan. Uh, you know, you dropped the ball completely. I what the fuck, man? Find us some juggalo. Mal- child Monoxa and Jamie Madrox on this next one, then. Yeah, hell yeah, dude. I don't even I don't even know who that is. See? But I, oh, see? I have no idea what's happening. Oh, thank goodness. Uh, you all are just like acting how showing how much cooler you are than me. You didn't have a junior high juggalo ICP phase. No, dude. I've been <clears throat> punk I've been punk since the second I came out of the womb, dude. <laughs> like I'm literally no poser phase here. I turned my back on the family, on the juggalo family. Uh <laughs> They haven't forgiven me. I don't have an invitation to the gathering. I do you need one or do you just buy a ticket? I just think you show up with like lots of drugs and probably a diaper. Oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> okay. We should move into underrated gems. Sure, sure. Um, all right. Well, yeah, uh David, I mentioned before, think of like one or two oh, bands yeah. that you just thought are like just deeply underrated, literally from any era. If you would yeah. do the honors of going first, would love Absolutely. to hear what you think. I will go with one of my favorite bands of all time, who I get roasted for for loving in the way that I do, which only shows how deeply underrated they are, which is Reagan Youth. Heck yeah! Oh, first uh, one, first Pig City tour ever. We played with uh, we played with them at a very sketchy venue in Anaheim, California, and mm. the second one well, the second show I ever went to in my life, I saw Christ on Parade and Reagan Youth together. Um, so wow, yeah, the politics of that I band. Not, I would not say like the the post the original singer dying in the eighties incarnation, but like For the sure. original eighties band. No, no, with like with Dave Insurgent, like as as on vocals. No, no, the the record stands forever. Sorry, I just jogged my memory so hard. I was like, holy, I'm like the Manchurian candidate. I was just like, oh, let me tell you. Uh, That that is a really good pick. I feel like because they've carried on almost as like a zombie crew, which is the uh, original guitar player, Paul. I forget his last name. Um but uh yeah they've almost in my opinion just completely ruined such an incredible legacy i Um, know i know 
it's sad yeah the original the original records are incredible yeah dude those songs fucking rock david insurgent was like such a visionary i i always wonder like what would have happened had he not passed away like would he have gone like what would have happened during during the pandemic oh like all the old punk dudes <laughs> just got real weird i'm like david surgeon i have i have hope that you would have been cool still <laughs> that is oh my god that it's it's too it's just it's all speculation i i i i always lean towards like every punk guy specifically from from the yeah. 80s like you don't want to know like like whatever you whatever your worst thought is in terms of like what they probably think like double it then that's (laughs) that's probably where they're where where they're at again it brings me no joy to pull the band-aid off for any of our listeners who might still have an affinity for that stuff they're all psychos Mm -hmm. every single one of them yeah but those two records fucking stand up i also think the lyric i hate hate it's like so stupid, but I'm like so dumb, so simple. Also, world, you know, also how I move through the world, like yeah, yeah. perfect. And then uh, for a second band, I w- I'll get a, a really recent one. It's one of my my favorite records of last year. Um, would be Illiterates. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's your from, that's your rocks too. From Damn. Pittsburgh, man, it's so fucking good. And I don't know if like maybe in circles I'm not in, people are talking about them a lot. But where I am, I barely hear about. I'm like, this band is so good. It sounds like Boston Strangler. Yeah, yeah. in the in the more like uh, you know it goes to Skull Fest every year type of circle. They 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 get talked about quite a bit. But I, do they? Uh, oh, good. Yeah, yeah. That I think that they're they're a real, they're a big draw in the I think in the more like punk lean. I think like like you know if you put them on like a generic hardcore fest, I think they would be met with nothing but blank stares. But they uh, they do well in punk circles. Yeah, I tend to like so many of those bands, and then I'm like, why doesn't anyone I know like them? Oh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Evan, you got you got you got anything, Evan? Yeah, I've got a couple. Um, oh dear. I'll stick to two because <laughs> I had five, and I'll just save. <laughs> Jesus. <them>. Okay. <laughs> I just I can't commit. Um, okay, so coincidentally, they're both from Australia. That wasn't part of the plan. Um, great continent one of them is uh uh i kind of accidentally foreshadowed earlier but there's a band called no future from perth um which i found out about because uh they think they recently had a release either release on iron lung or promoted by iron lung and they're just a really rad raw d-beat style hardcore punk band from perth um i don't know i just i just like kind of the really the recording I listened to was kind of blown out and uh, just they kind of put the raw in raw punk for me and I was very into it um, I haven't gone down their whole discography it looks like they've actually been around for a pretty long time but um, I really liked what I listened to and then another one from Melbourne is called Persecutor which is just like um kind of power violence uh hardcore band that's especially uh focused on racial justice in their um lyrics um they just contributed to this uh most recent compilation for palestinian liberation on homeland denied um and they for instance they their most recent album 
Uh, the first track is called Wretched of the Earth. So they've got this like rather if we're talking about like politics influencing hardcore, you could tell that they're like involved in their theory. Um, and even if you didn't know all the like literary and critical references they're making, uh, music is really punishing and um, just kind of undeniably powerful. So yeah, persecutor and no future. Oh yeah, those are great. I uh, I'm gonna check both of those out actually because I've not I've not heard either. So that sounds sick. Australia has all these sleepers that that. Uh, like you put me on to Geld and uh Oh my god, they're the yeah, they're, they're Geld is fucking great. That band uh, Cutters is incredible too. There there's Shackles. Yeah, yeah, like the I've I never mean, heard of any of these bands. <laughs> All right, we have to start putting the put together a playlist or something. Yeah, I was gonna say dude, yeah, that, that entire continent is just like yeah. absolutely ripping right now. Like I've yeah, every band so much sick shit. Yeah, I uh I got you know it makes sense, you know, like if you're if you're waking up every morning and there's like a spider the size of like a house cat and then like you walk <laughs> out and there's a bunch of kangaroos in your front yard, you know what I mean? You'd probably make some fucking sick music if those were their, your living conditions. I don't know. <laughs> kangaroos, punk. Is there a connection? <laughs> I'm gonna. I'll save that for the next like academic conference I present on. <laughs> I'm just like check this shit out. I'm sure um, with enough like theoretical back like background you can make a connection between just about anything yeah um i'm looking at the list i always keep and per usual i actually don't think any of these bands deserve any credit <laughs> um, um let's see hold Resident on hater yeah yeah you um, clocked him yeah um i'm gonna go with dude i feel like i feel like i've said this before no, I haven't. Well, by the way, can I just point out that by, you're right on, Devin. The point, the fact that I had way too many and you refused to provide one is a really good, like, encapsulation of our our two approaches to, like, how charitably we look at, at, at uh, punk music and hardcore. <laughs> um, shit, I'm going to go with... Uh, I. I think this band was underrated, but they 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 played a they played a lot in the two thousands. Uh, Green Beret, I'm pretty sure oh, they were. Oh hell fans. yeah, yeah. I think they were. I think they were just another. They were from a long lineage of just incredible, uh, incredible Boston bands that kind of like perfectly walked that line where it's like they're utilizing the D beat, but then out of nowhere they'd throw in like a really solid, like almost like boston strangler-esque kind of like mid-pace um uh yeah so i'm gonna just green beret that's that's all i got you've redeemed yourself yeah yeah thanks i you know i'm doing i'm doing what i can out here to, to talk about bands <laughs> my cat has decided that she needs to like pull everything off the counter right now. The so cat that is the size of an Australian spider. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I honestly, I think the spider would eat this cat. This cat is spider food, huh, Ivy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm staring down a pile of Aristotle I have to read tonight for class Ooh. tomorrow. <laughs> no Aristotle's politics. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think we've primed you for that. I think just walk in with a lot of this. Yeah, you're, you're at, like, you, 
you're ready. Y'all ever heard of Green Beret? Yeah. <laughs> Underrated. Yeah. <laughs> well, I Super. I am so grateful for this time. I think that um, just the show in general, I really was itching for an episode, and and Davin, I couldn't. Uh, speaking for myself, couldn't have asked for a better guest. So I'm really glad that Dylan got in touch with you. Yeah, thank you for having me on, and thank you for doing the show. It's sick. Yeah, thank. Um, yeah, thanks for thanks for being down to come on, and um, yeah, the research you're doing is is yeah. I, I think it, it encapsulates pretty much all of the values that that me and Evan both have, and uh, will hopefully hold near and dear as conditions worsen. Well. You know, yeah. the world kind of implodes on itself. So thanks. Thank you for... from the ground. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Thank you for thank you for doing it. Um, we say this to everybody. But if you ever want to if you ever want to come back on, if you have anything you ever want to promote or plug or anything like get a hold of us, we would love to do do a part two or something along those lines. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, guys. Hell yeah. <laughs>